are back with another episode of Talking of Free Action. I'm your host, Owen, joined again today with our illustrious co-host, Marvin. Welcome back to the show. Hello. How do, friend? It do. It do. Uh, busy weekend, and uh, we are coming right up here on uh, on the holiday, the uh, U.S. Independence Day. So, you know, there's uh, fireworks going off in the background. Hopefully that doesn't come up on the mic. Eh, it'll be fine. <laughs> I, I expect so. Um... But yeah, busy weekend for sure. Uh, you stopped mm-hmm. by. Was always uh, always uh, glad to have you guys. Uh, you know, in the house playing like actual tabletops in person, uh, the way that Gygax intended. Um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely way more entertaining in person. I think. Yeah, a lot more engaging, and we definitely uh, uh leaned onto the the you know <laughs> excuse to hang out with your friends angle. Uh, for sure. Uh, as oh, we, yeah. I don't think we actually started for like three hours or something after you arrived. Something like that. Yeah, it, it was, was great. Uh, I can only speak for myself, but uh, I had a great time. Yeah, I, I definitely did as well. Um, you know, plus we got to, to do uh, pirate shenanigans, so that was always fun. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, uh, so I guess uh, that kind of leads us into our topic for the day. Uh, don't worry, audience, we're not going to spend the entire session uh, today talking about our uh, our live game, but uh, we are going to use it as a jumping off point. Uh, so, Marvin, what are we uh, what are we chatting about today? Uh, today we were going to talk about uh, when plans don't go as planned. Very cool. Very cool. So. I guess as a DM, um, well, I guess as a player, have you ever been in a situation where you've tried to like actively conceal your plans from your dungeon master? Uh, I cannot say that I have. Uh, mostly because I find my plans go way better when the DM knows about them. <laughs> okay. Um, that being said, I have definitely actively concealed plans from other players. Hmm. So what do you mean by that, exactly? Like, in what context? Um, sometimes, usually for in-character reasons, my character wants something that he doesn't want the rest of the party to know he wants. Mm-hmm. And that want is sometimes, you know, to get something done, or to acquire an item, or, you know, just have a need met that the rest of the party doesn't necessarily need to know about, Mm-hmm. Um, in my case usually it's because they'll try to stop the plan <laughs> okay so like this is your way of like sidestepping party conflict yeah Um, or creating party conflict depending on how you look at it <laughs> yeah yeah definitely so is this more like in the context where like you're playing like an evil character or something and the rest of the party is playing a good character or um, that is usually how you would use this specific context. Um, I definitely have played evil characters in parties of good characters, and my goals definitely did not align with their values. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it's just, you know, you're not necessarily evil, but the thing you want, um, could be harmful to people in ways that 
the rest of the party might not be comfortable with. Because you don't necessarily have to be evil to want to do something that can definitely get people hurt. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think it's a matter of scope, too, right? Because like, I've mm-hmm. also played evil characters in a party full of you know neutral good and lawful good characters, and it is challenging, certainly. But I also think it matters, like, the the style of evil. Like, in my instance, I think I was playing more of, like, a lawful evil slash neutral evil character. Chaotic evil is pretty tough to do when you have someone on the far opposite end. But um, I think it just has to do with, like, how, you know, blatant you are in those situations. Because I find that you can still play characters who are ostensibly evil um, and maybe just have very differing morals. But I think at the end of the day, as long as the player themselves is kind of aware that we're intending to collaborate with one another like in a meta sense i think mm-hmm. that it's not typically like a deal breaker or anything it, it does mean though that the players should be i don't want to say like comfortable with conflict but i do think that like as a player playing an evil character in a party of of good players i think the responsibility is on you to kind of help keep that party i mean it's everybody's responsibility to keep the party together but you know, I think, like, stirring the pot in moderation is maybe the best way I can put it. Yeah, most definitely. And in my case, not stirring the pot was just not telling the other players that I'm doing bad things. Yeah. Uh, when you were uh, describing yourself as, as someone who needed to fulfill certain needs, made it sound like you were a serial killer. Um... That's not super far off for one of these characters that I'm talking about. So oh, jeez. <laughs> um, and I don't want to talk about it in more depth than that because it is a character I'm currently playing in another campaign. Um, and I don't know if any of those players are going to listen. So, uh, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I don't think we need to necessarily get into any any further details. So, like, I. I... So my question, I guess, is when you're trying to handle making plans that you don't want the other players to know about, but clearly you're cluing in the DM in this instance, how do Mm -hmm. you go about doing that? Um, a lot of times I will, I will conceptualize the character with the DM or GM beforehand, um, just so that they are aware of what my goals in character will be. Um, so they can kind of make decisions about how to feed information to the other players, if at all, about, you know, maybe tipping them off because I'm sometimes actively working against them and they don't know it. Mm. Um, and like the ultimate goal of this campaign is for my character to become something akin to the big bad evil guy. As you have done with uh, our friend Bob in that one campaign. Yeah, in that one instance we did that thing. Yeah, I'm I'm doing something similar with uh, another GM that I'm playing with. Nice, nice. Mm. Okay, very good, very good. Uh, you know, I have a similar um, experience actually with our uh, with our Sunday game. Um, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. Uh, Julian was so kind to actually send me a few different video messages. Um, uh-huh. outlining some you know ideas that he had for some plot beats that he wanted to try and explore with his character, and okay. this is a little bit different than him making a plan in character so much as him collaborating with us to agree upon like future story beats that have yet to happen um to sure. his character. 
So this is a little bit different than the way that I normally plan like D&D stories, because a lot of times I'm like picking up what you guys leave off at character creation, but then largely kind of fabricating the story around them. This is mm -hmm. much more of a collaborative effort where Julian comes to me and is like, oh, hey, you know, it'd be really cool if next session something like this happened or something like this happened. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the ideas are great. So I'm just like, yeah, no, that sounds badass. Let's do that. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so and then we work, work it in. So um, I was actually planning to get to that, but we didn't quite have enough time uh, yesterday. <laughs> but um, that'll be a plan for next time. But in the same way, it's kind of similar to making plans um, without letting the other players know. Um, but instead of, uh, you know, your character making the plans, it's you making plans with the DM for things to happen to your character. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I think the important thing here is that it's not just um, like, boy, wouldn't it be cool if my character just like found a bunch of money? Like, it has to be like interesting. You know, it has to be something like, wouldn't it be cool if my character found out that he was uh, not actually related to his parents? Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe he was uh, actually the son of, I don't know some rogue witch who uh did some bad stuff in the kingdom and he's trying to redeem himself now after he found it out yeah absolutely mm -hmm. or like you know and again like you can push the boundaries certainly but i think mm -hmm. that you know when if you have like a cool idea for like some story that'll serve your character like a story that you want to tell right i think it's definitely okay to like come to the gm and be like hey like here's an idea that i have um, tell me what you think about it, and let's see how we can workshop it, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, which is something that I'm also doing with um, with our friend Dylan in his Star Wars campaign that uh, we play in. Mm -hmm. um, the other players don't know yet, but uh, there will come a point where a, an important-ish NPC is going to die. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if my character just accidentally used the dark side of the force and just like exploded in rage because of this character dying? And he was like, I love that idea. <laughs> <laughs> because we're all supposed to be light side Jedi in this Star Wars campaign. And, you know, we do some questionable things because everybody did questionable things in the dark times. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately we're doing the best job we can of being Jedi right mm -hmm. and I was like what if my character just like forced lightning to the guy who killed this NPC <laughs> he was like I know I said no dark side powers but I'll make an exception for this one scene. And I was like, yeah, and I don't I don't even need to have the power. Yeah, it doesn't need to be in the suite. You just need to be able to do it for the scene. Yeah, I was like, I don't need to have it. Don't give me the power unless you think that, like, it works um, for the story we're going to tell afterwards, whatever that is. But, like, just to accidentally just have it burst out of me, just pure unbridled rage sends a bolt of lightning at this guy he was like that's beautiful we're doing it yeah and that's really good right like mm -hmm. um and i was talking to um to julian because I've, I've done this a few different times with this character at this point 
Yeah. And like, just as a for instance, right? Like, he sent me some, he's like, oh, I had some ideas on like maybe an origin story for my patron, right? Mm -hmm. I hadn't necessarily settled on it yet. But even if I had, I'd be okay, certainly, uh, like hearing some other options to see if maybe any of those stick. And I don't need to tell him, like, oh, I'm definitely going to do this. I think it's an understood that I may, you know, twist the scenario a little bit to still try and surprise him. Yeah. Um, but in this way, it really is kind of like, for me, it's interesting because it's kind of taking like the collaborative storytelling aspect and really kind of putting it to a level that I haven't actually experienced before in the game. So that's been really refreshing. Yeah, because normally the collaboration is during gameplay, but this is like collaborating during planning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is significantly less common in uh in most of the games that you and I have both ran and played in. Yeah, and it really doesn't need to be, right? Because I think at the end of the day, it's about trying to figure out the best way to tell a story that you want to tell. And Mm -hmm. you can still be surprised with novel situations regarding that. But if, for instance, you're playing a character who, you know, has some sort of, uh, you know, mistake they've made in their past that they deeply want to correct, right? And Mm -hmm. you know that that character's journey is going to be like, you know, found family and all that. Yeah, you could definitely like collab with the DM and be like, "Hey, like I want to come up with these scenarios. Like, put me in a scenario where I have to make this choice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I really would like to do that, and it also helps the DM too because it allows them to kind of plan with a little bit more certainty, I guess, because you have some, you know, level of certainty on how the player may act in that situation. You have a little bit of foresight into their uh, reaction." Exactly. But it's still novel for the rest of the players, right? Yep. And it will probably still be novel for the player actually doing it if there's any choice involved. Yeah, absolutely. Like not There's a lot of times... Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, I was just going to say, because not every twist needs to be blind, right? Sometimes the players can see it coming, and sometimes you you want them to actively tell you where to go. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um... And, like, sometimes they don't even know where they're going to take those choices, right? They're like, I don't know how I'm going to actually decide, but I want to have to make this choice. Can we make that happen? And you're just like, yes, absolutely. Yeah, because, like, let's do it, (laughs) you know? Um, There's definitely nothing wrong with, uh, you know, with doing that, you know, either at the table or beforehand. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's a little bit different um, than kind of the planning that was taking place at our table, because um, this was one of those instances where you guys decided to like hatch a scheme to like take out an NPC, kind of at the table. Um, and I get a sense that you guys didn't really talk about it ahead of time. Nope, not at all. <laughs> where are you on like planning out of character for like upcoming combats? Uh, I prefer not to. If the rest of the party is planning, I will 100% take part, but I will rarely be the one to suggest it. And if it's for something um, kind of time-sensitive, like that was, I would prefer to do as much of it in character as possible. Okay. Like, even at risk of like running out of time to execute? Yeah, 100%. Interesting, interesting. Okay. Um. So, I guess in this instance, just to give the the audience a little bit of a heads up so this was a situation where um we're playing a pirate campaign 
and uh i am uh using the copyright friendly yonko uh (laughs) warlords of the sea um yeah in in our campaign um although there are considerably more of them in this instance Um, there's exactly one more yes or yonko five warlords I wrote them down. <laughs> I have all of their names written down. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I definitely do as well. I just for some reason I thought there were six. But anyways, um uh the Dread Pirate Jones is the quote unquote sixth one, but he's not considered a warlord. Right, right. Okay. That makes sense then. I knew in my head six was a significant figure and I couldn't like mm-hmm. thank you for for putting a pin in that. Yeah. Um, I found those notes yesterday in the middle of the session, and that's the only reason I know for sure. <laughs> uh, like occasionally, good note taking is uh, really helpful, especially when I haven't been taking notes outside of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so for whatever reason, plot beats. Uh, it was decided that one of these, uh, one of these warlords, one of these sovereigns of the sea, uh, mm-hmm. need to be uh, eliminated, and. Uh, the initial plan was uh was was what exactly? Uh the initial plan I wasn't even paying attention to, honestly. Um there was some talk of like Alan masquerading as like the first mate's cousin, which we came to after we decided that we were gonna try to get the crew to turn on the sovereign. And I was like, how did we get here? This seems like a mistake. Especially when I was asking questions like, how loyal are their crews usually going to be to them? And you were like, to the death. And I was like, oh, so this is a bad plan now. Cool. Why are we still trying? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I said um, exactly to the death. But I, I think I said something along the lines of, like, captains typically serve, you know, at their crew's whim or something. Um... Your, I think your exact words, or something close to your exact words, were um, captains don't, um, they don't take their position as captain; they earn it, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, they don't lead with fear; they lead with respect. And I was like, okay, cool. So it's very unlikely that any of this crew is gonna turn on her because they, the vast majority, probably respect her. At the very minimum. <laughs> yeah and i was like so we should change plans and yeah. julian suggested a different plan which was invite her to a private gathering but don't invite her um and then um so we could ambush her basically mm-hmm. and i was like this is a much better plan i'm glad we changed to this plan <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, although I think there was an original plan too, where it was uh, send Alan in alone and hope that his uh, the fact that he couldn't die would be enough. Oh, that that was just Alan talking. I I was not on board for that one at all. <laughs> it was quite like fun, if though. they were, if they were like this is the one we're going with, I would have been like, mm. good no. to know that. <laughs> As the highest ranking player character on this crew, I'm gonna have to say no. <laughs> you pulling rank at the table. Yes, I'm pulling rank at the table. Uh, also, that's a great callback. <laughs> callback audience didn't get. Um, <laughs> so, that'll be a funny joke for exactly two people in our audience. 
Um, exactly two people. But that's okay. So um, this was a really interesting situation, though, where you guys kind of hatched a plan. They were like, all right, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And things are going fairly well, I would say, for most of it. Yeah, we got we got pretty deep into this plan before anything started actively going wrong. Yeah. Like, we almost succeeded. Um, what do you think were some of the curveballs? Um, I definitely think the existing knowledge that Alan had introduced himself as his disguise character beforehand was um, detrimental to us in the long run. Mm-hmm. But there's no way we could have known that before we actually started coming up with this plan. Um, the fact that we couldn't actually avoid having the pirate lady alone with the NPC who was our bait, uh, that definitely hurt us. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, those are the only ones that really stand out to me. Um, I, I guess rolling initiative was a hiccup as well. <laughs> I I don't know that that really counts. I expect us to roll fairly badly in initiative, and no, I expect no, I, I don't mean to roll, roll initiative. I, I don't mean that. What I mean is like the the point in time where initiative was rolled was like, oh, things are going badly now. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I expected it to just be the three of us and our captain against her and whoever she brought. Honestly, which kind of is what it was, right? That is exactly what it ended up being. And I know we had a plan to have other people there, but there was not a single second that I was like, yeah, we're going to, this is going to work out this way. <laughs> and it almost did work out that way, which is insane to me. Um, like if we had gotten, you know, one more deception check in our favor, basically, I think we could have gotten there. Um, but the plan came together pretty well, all things considered. Yeah, and I think as a GM, it kind of hits on an important balance, right? Because like mm-hmm. as a GM, like you want your players to feel like their efforts to make a plan are rewarded, and you yeah. don't want your NPCs to always feel like they're omniscient, right? Um, yeah, you, you don't want them to feel like they're always a step ahead or they always know what's going on. Now, you can use that strategy to make certain NPCs seem much more intelligent or menacing than maybe your actual abilities would would make that be the case right mm-hmm. um sometimes you can find ways in character to justify out of character knowledge um, when mm-hmm. it comes to running a game um but what i think is is really important as a gm is you want your players to feel like they get a benefit from those plans right that even mm-hmm. if it doesn't go 100 percent to plan which you know spoilers for for good work right no plan should ever go 100 percent to plan like you know, there always should be a hiccup. Like, that's like, you know, writing heists 101. Um, you are there's... supposed to expect there should be hiccups. Yeah. And I think that, like, that can be a, a weakness of new GMs, is uh, kind of playing too much to the planning that the players do without thinking uh, fast enough about how those plans can go awry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... Because even one little hiccup can throw the whole plan out of whack and force the players into some interesting uh, situations. Yeah, like in, and in this case too, right? It's it's not even something that one could... And the other thing too, right? It's like, don't make the hiccups bullshit. 
right? Yeah. It's like, oh, I happen to have a, you know, <laughs> I happen to have this uh, stone that allows me to scry on people that I see, and I happen to be scrying on you when you were making It's like, no, that's boring. That's not, that's not cool. <clears throat> that's bad writing. Yeah, it's like too convenient, right? But what is a foreseeable like hiccup, right? Like, or what a good hiccup is, is something that is like conceivably foreseeable by the players to have like considered mm-hmm. happening at one point and then having it come to pass. So, like for instance, it is in this instance one of the I think the big hiccups was that Alan claimed to be close with this uh, with the deceased uh, sailor that you guys mm-hmm. were crashing the the funeral. Well, I guess you're not crashing it, but uh, you, you were uh, planning this funeral for this uh, deceased sailor, and uh, Alan's character claimed to be a lot closer than they actually were. Um, yep. And what you didn't count on, and didn't you know have time slash think to look into, is whether or not the captain knew this sailor or not. Yep. Oh and, yeah. And how closely. What? Is it and how closely they knew they knew each other. And so, you know, once that became kind of like the focus of the conversation, uh, Alan was no longer able to kind of pass muster. And unfortunately, he didn't think to catch on to that entrapment as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think that, like, if Alan had, had noticed, like, you know, maybe out of character a little bit, he could have probably asked to roll like an insight check about, you know, about the line of questioning or something and maybe caught a hint and then maybe swerved a little bit to try and improve his deception options right Mm -hmm. so like even at the nth hour where you know the characters uh you know making that uh, that assertion over and over again in this case uh utilizing a nickname that she knew that the deceased wouldn't have wouldn't have liked um which by the way i did notice when you changed to using that nickname because you didn't say ronnie every time no i did not say ronnie every time you definitely started off saying Ron or Ronald and then changed to Ronnie. And I was like, this is this is it. She knows something is wrong here. <laughs> yeah, and what that was is that that was an instance where she, um, I believe Alan rolled a deception check um, mm-hmm. like shortly before and, and he yeah. rolled like a 12 or something and she rolled like a 13. Oh. So, like, she didn't know he was outright lying, but she definitely got more suspicious than she already was. She caught a whiff of something. And from yeah. there, it's like, all right, let's extrapolate. Like, something about this, again, like, something about this story doesn't pass muster. Let's mm-hmm. l- let's go ahead and, and, you know, investigate a little bit. How do you know this person exactly? Um, and unfortunately, you know, she's a very smart character. So that's a situation where you can believably you know say oh yeah this character is you know naturally suspicious and would draw the conclusion that perhaps this is a setup right and like it's not even like you sprung the the suspicion on us because we saw from the first encounter before she had a reason to be suspicious that she was a suspicious person yeah just naturally right the the initial mm-hmm. encounter with this character is somebody who's like you know, and it, again, it's funny because like the NPC like hostage slash bait in this situation was also like a like notably poor liar, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think is is always good to throw in. I think it's a fun character trait, especially as a GM. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also enjoyed that you guys like have this bait character that you're actively trying to avoid social situations because you know that the minute that she gets questioned, she's gonna crack. Yep. 
And she did. <laughs> yeah, that did not help either. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I, I think that like it's a really good kind of lesson on how to how to potentially run with it, right? Because I think one mm-hmm. thing that can end up happening is if you're a, a game master, right, and you are overly punishing, because like let's say you swing the pendulum way in the other direction, where mm-hmm. instead of letting everything go to plan, ev- nothing works, nothing ever works. One of two things are going to happen. One, either your players are going to get grow frustrated and stop attempting to make plans, which, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I think hurts the overall engagement level of the game. Yep. Um, or, this is somewhat worse, they no longer trust you. And in those situations, they may then conspire to, you know, maybe put together their plans in secret, which makes your job as a GM way harder to do, because... The reality is that six people or, you know, four people or whatever are probably going to be able to outthink whatever it is you're going to come up with. <laughs> yeah. Full stop, like, you know? Like, three brains against one, they're going to outthink you eventually, and it's going to be very bad. Yeah, well, maybe very bad is overselling it, but it's going to make it a lot harder for, I think, everybody to feel like it's a collaboration at that point. I think, because I think at that point, once you're getting to a place where your players are, like, secretly planning and the GM is not aware of it, I think at that point we're turning the game from a collaborative experience into a competitive one, where each side is trying to outsmart the other. And granted, there's nothing wrong if that's what your table likes or enjoys or does, right? I don't want someone to walk away and think that they're playing D&D wrong or they're playing their you know, their uh, you know, other, other TTRPG wrong, right? There's nothing bad with that. It just depends on the kind of table that you have and the kind of environment you have. And that definitely can lead down to a road where perhaps you're starting to breed kind of some unwanted emotions or feelings about and around the combat encounters um, that maybe don't need to be there, depending on you know what you want as a, as a GM. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try to avoid that unnecessary hostility. Yeah. Um, I will say that... Um, there have been situations where I've wanted to encourage you guys to do that a little bit more, right? Because, like, one thing that is kind of a an interesting side effect, right? If your players mm-hmm. care enough to strategize outside of the game for what will be coming in the game, mm-hmm. like, that is a good thing, I think, in general, right? Because <laughs> it means they're incredibly invested in the outcome, uh, one way if or another. they care enough to think about it and discuss it, even if they're not actively trying to strategize, um, just the fact that they're discussing the game outside and what might happen, because they might even if it's not really strategizing. Um, if for instance we knew we wanted to to kill this captain lady, right? Um, even if we were just talking about like what are the consequences if we fail? Mm-hmm. Should we even actually try? Um, which are things we did talk about a little bit. Yeah, um, I think more so along the lines of like, hey, just heads up, if this goes poorly, we're not going to be able to show our faces anywhere for basically ever. <laughs> oh, no, like we discussed it briefly, like before the game. Oh, you guys did. Okay. Before we were at your house, like, are we sure we want to try to kill this lady? <laughs> How bad is this going to go for us if we fail? Mm. Aside from the, you know, obvious consequence that we might just straight up die. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of always, like, an assumed possibility. Yeah. So. (laughs) 
so like we didn't strategize but like we had to actively have a short conversation like do we actually want to do this yeah and i think that that's an important thing to consider right like Mm -hmm. you know when you're playing as a player sometimes it is beneficial to just kind of take a few minutes out of the game and be like like you know pulse check is this a good plan like not the plan itself but like should we continue with this course of action at all is this a reasonable course of action are our characters dumb enough to keep going if this is an unreasonable course of action yeah um so and but again like me hearing that means like that's awesome i you mm-hmm. guys are invested you are in the game you are ready to go and oh yeah you know that that you know granted like you probably do have the added benefit of a two and a half hour drive <laughs> where you probably don't have uh you know you're not talking to anybody else during that drive so it's one of the topics i'm sure comes up on a regular basis but um, almost every time yeah but like that's a good thing to me right yeah so um one thing i did want to ask you about and this is kind of switching gears a little bit but mm-hmm. it is something i did want to kind of touch on is um the challenge of making a notorious npc feel like it is appropriately dangerous without being outside of reach right so like mm-hmm. in this setting right our warlords are supposed to be or our sovereigns are supposed to be incredibly dangerous pirate captains mm-hmm. in their own right you guys are relatively low level so this is one of the few instances where i have and you know pcs fighting against npcs that like in lore should be like significant challenge like possibly outside of reach yeah but i wanted to ensure that this could happen within the narrative so you know i want to to ask you like i guess number one do you think that i did an adequate job of making this character feel dangerous without it feeling out of reach and do you feel like their um capabilities match kind of what you imagine they might be able to do in the lore so when I hear that somebody like this notorious pirate captain is of this kind of pseudo-legendary status, if not actually legendary, um, no matter what level we are, I imagine we should theoretically be able to beat them, right? Um, if they're... If they are, an option that is being presented to us to attempt to try to kill, even if they're not a, somebody we can reasonably beat. As a player, I always assume we can, right? And it will always be a challenge, no matter what level we are. Um, so, like, I imagine there's some amount of level scaling, because even low-level player characters are significantly more terrifying than any real life person right like borderline demigods every every player character yeah so like the fact that we are that kind of power level compared to the typical civilian means that we should reasonably be able to have those high scale battles or high power battles even at low level so do you think that by having that be the case though that it undercuts the the legend right so do you think like the fact that you were able to fell them with 
relatively little experience in the game world itself, right? You've only been official pirates for a couple of weeks. Do you feel like that undercuts the the notoriety or the story around those characters? Or do you feel like that's more a maybe just more like a narrative device where like it depends on how the GM presents the, the fight itself? Like, do you think if you just like, you know, walk her like a dog that it's, you know, um, that, if like, the it, it fight was that. easy, I would have had an issue with her status, right? I think it would have cheapened it if the fight was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but as somebody who has spent a lot of time watching shonen anime and having characters like us with relatively little experience still be able to have reasonable battles with people who are theoretically way stronger than us. It's like I'm living One Piece, basically, right? Because this is what happened with Luffy. Right, okay, so, like, it's playing in the space, right? Yeah, like, and I know Alan is trying to live that One Piece lifestyle in this campaign. Quite literally. Like, Like, he is actively trying to live One Piece. So, like, this just feels like we are shonen protagonists when we fight people like her. So it's like an extension of that. And I guess like the fact that I'm I've made it very clear that like I'm willing to rule basically everything to make it to make it work. Yeah. Um and like I don't think it cheapens her status so much as gives us a faster way to gain our own status. Mm-hmm. Because right. that's really what's happening now. People are going to be like, "Oh, those are the ones who killed Bonnie." they're a problem yeah it's like one-way ticket right mm-hmm. <laughs> to to like being relevant and yeah i mean that that's interesting um for sure and definitely that's going to be like some consequences that are going to come of that right because this oh, is not yeah. something that will that will go away right that, that's a uh an important um moment in that story um, literally the first question i asked in character what happens if we do somehow win? Yeah. Which is, well, New Warlord will have to be selected. So, um, you know, there's that. And again, that's going to be kind of like future problems. But what I'm gathering from our conversation right here, though, is that a really big aspect of not undercutting your villains is ensuring that they are properly challenging during the fight itself. 100%. The fact that we went down almost... Almost entirely because i think julian only had like 10 or so hit points left and i had gone down twice and alan had gone down three or four times alan like, died i think three times officially in that fight he he did die more than once <laughs> like literally like all the death saves are gone now <laughs> mm-hmm. um but like the fact that we went down so many times and Julian only didn't go down because of his fancy new tattoo. Um, <laughs> well, it's like a, a like a sigil on his cowl now. His fancy new quote-unquote tattoo. Fair. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, that fight would have gone very differently if his AC was still 12. Yeah. Very. <laughs> um, But, like, that was a challenge. And we technically 
didn't actually overcome the challenge just because we were running out of time, I think we still would have. Yeah, which I think is why I was okay doing that, right? And for context mm-hmm. for the audience, right? Uh, it was getting late. <laughs> uh, everybody needed to go home at some point. Um, and my house is uh, two and a half hours away from everybody else's. So yeah, <laughs> it, it was getting quite late and some of them had to work today. So um, obviously that was that. But the only reason I was comfortable doing that is because I was fairly confident that it wasn't it wasn't literally solved, but I was fairly confident that you guys were going to be able to pull it off. Yeah, I think we had a very reasonable chance of succeeding at killing her eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, the thing is too is like once once you guys start going down, um, and she no longer has reason to like burn a bunch of her legendary actions doing non-attacking things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, well. That, uh, that tips the action economy way in the other direction. Mm-hmm. So. But that was fun. I only wish that I had been able to get the final blow. I think no matter which one of you got the final blow in this instance, it, it leads to an interesting story beat. Because I think each mm-hmm. one of you has, like, again, like, anime protagonist energy, right? Like, it's legend building for each one of you. Yeah. Um, for sure. And I think we all like, separately decided that we all want to be, like, actual anime protagonists, but we all want everyone to be the protagonist. <laughs> well, I mean, part, um, of, part of just good player, like, player etiquette is being everybody else's cheerleader, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and we were talking on the way back um, that, like, of the actual combatants in the crew, there are five. Mm-hmm. And there are five warlords. And Alan was like, could we just have our crew become the new warlords? Or sovereigns, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't like that I like this idea. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. Uh, so what you're talking... Uh... Well, I guess the one thing that does have to happen, right, is, like... Because, like, one thing I was considering um, during that mm-hmm. is um, passing the torch, right, to mm-hmm. you guys so you can kind of take command of the crew. Um, but I did want to kill another NPC <laughs> that you guys actually like <laughs> uh, and spent quite a bit of time with. Um, I think if she had died, we would have tried to take up the mantle, but I'm very glad she didn't. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's, like, in 5th edition specifically, NPCs don't have death saves, but I think mm-hmm. for important NPCs, they're okay to do. Um, I like death saves for NPCs, and I also don't like that killing is the default for dropping enemies to 0 HP. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of times, like, we actually don't want to just kill people. It's kind of In character. Yeah. Um, but like good characters don't necessarily want to kill even evil characters a lot of the time. They don't necessarily want to kill everything. And I think, especially for like actually good characters, having killing be like a choice they have to make instead of just 
it happens when the thing drops to zero and you have to drop them to zero usually to complete the combat encounter. I think making that be a choice they have to make is very it's very impactful on their characters. I mean, I think it kind of depends on what sort of story you're trying to play. I think that with us, like even though we're we're leaning into trope space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're definitely trying to play characters who are a little bit more nuanced and realized. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody has a bit, but we're trying to like be characters, right? There are a lot of yeah. people who play fifth edition, uh, fifth edition, the fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, um, who just want their characters to wake up and you know eat eggs with a side of genocide, right? That's just what they want to do. Um, yeah, they, they want to kill all the goblins, kill all the orcs, or whatever. They they're not interested in nuance. They don't, you know, they don't, you know, when the DM thinks they're cute and presents them with, you know. Uh, goblin mothers and, and goblin children they're like cool i kill them as well do i get more experience mm-hmm. and while i think that's a boring way to play that is a way that a lot of people do <laughs> yes yes it is definitely a thing people do um i just don't think z- dropping to zero and it is a kill should be the default yeah i mean i think that like by doing something like that you kind of emphasize the choice aspect and i mm-hmm. think that in some in some party configurations that'll be meaningful right um mm-hmm. some parties that'll be meaningful um you know and you could accomplish that a few different ways but i think we also run into the situation where it's like how much do we change the fifth edition rule set you know to to make it do something that it's not designed to do at the end of the day oh yeah for sure yeah. i'm not suggesting we do anything different i just don't think it should be the default for the system yeah i understand where you're coming you know, it's it's one of those things you always see it online, right? It's like you know, people spend a lot of time modding Fifth Edition to do different things when they could just play other TTRPGs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that's why your campaign is the only time I play Fifth Edition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because I don't. There's too many other things that I want to do that Fifth Edition isn't good at. Yeah, I honestly was running into the same issue. Like, I want to do, like, a fun crossover story uh, during our Intrepid Adventures campaign um, mm-hmm. for one of our one-shots over the summer. And it just, it couldn't come together. One, because, like, I, it had been so long since I had read Saga's edition. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, for a little while, I've had a, different, a few different ideas for, like, sci-fi story beats that I've wanted to run. And I just can't do that in 5th edition. I mean, you can, but, like, there's so much extra you have to do to make it work that it doesn't feel worth it. Yeah. Like, for instance, I had a campaign idea a while back where it's like, boy, it'd be really cool if it was like, characters find alien tech, like alien weapon, like basically Ben 10, right? Like, not Mm -hmm. literally the Omnitrix, but like that style story where like, you know, low-level characters find legendary alien artifacts and wacky story entails. Mm -hmm. And like, you could do something like that in 5th edition, right? Like, the mechanics can work, but the game itself is kind of not well-skinned towards sci-fi elements. So it's like, I'm going to have to do way more work to get this to fit when I could just find another system. You know what system would actually probably be very good for that? No, what's that? The Stargate D20 system. Hmm. That's interesting because I know very little about Stargate. It's not a property I've ever been at all interested in watching or consuming. Um, Stargate is just normal people. Mm-hmm. 
Like it's actually just you're Ben Ten. Here's the and you just have to design the alien stuff, um, because like it's fairly no, low numbers mm-hmm. uh, for most of the system and mostly realistic skill checks. Like you're not doing anything crazy, uh, no magic, no nothing like that. You're just a dude. So all you have to do is design the alien tech that you want them to use, and it works in that system. I think being open to that sort of thing is really important to you as a player. Like, when you're looking mm-hmm. for, like, new groups to join, um, you know, I know a lot of people want to play D&D because that's the, the system that's popular. But I think that, you know, it's okay to, to like, branch out and use those as kind of your, your early introductions, right? So, like, mm-hmm. full-on confession, right? When I first started playing Saga's Edition with you guys, mm-hmm. I had only seen, I think, three and a half of the Star Wars films. Uh, for those of you listening, there were six actual Star Wars films at the time that uh, this campaign that we're talking about started. Yeah, but like to be clear, I only ever saw the prequels in half of A New Hope. That's insane, <laughs> right? So, like, the majority of my like interaction with the Star Wars franchise is through mm-hmm. the lens of Saga's edition. That's like, wild. But, like, the crazy thing is, to this day, like, yes, at this point now, I've also watched, you know, through until episode 8, which, you know, is, is you know, about where I have to draw the line, right? But, like, that's all I consume for Star Wars, is Saga's Edition and those eight films. That's it. I don't really have any interest in consuming any of the other media. Actually, I'm fibbing a little bit. I did see the, um, the, uh, the, what is it, uh, Gendi, right? Gendy Tarvikovsky's Clone Wars. Yeah, I, I'd seen like maybe three or four episodes of that. Okay. Um, because I, I love Samurai Jack and anything that he puts his name on, I'm going to watch if I can. Gendy Tarvikovsky is fantastic. Goaded for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, like, that is a lot of words to say that um, no matter what uh, the, like, the skin is of the system. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not like a fan of the franchise or know anything about it, if the rules are interesting, if the story that the GM is is uh, weaving is good, you can still have a lot of fun with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, sure. You you know, I went in knowing a little bit about Star Wars, obviously from cultural osmosis. I knew I knew a bunch of it, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I had watched you know a bunch of films you know growing up as a kid, but you know, in this case, like Stargate, like I know nothing about Stargate. But it sounds like a cool system, so like maybe I try it. Because so, like, even more full disclosure, I had seen exactly one episode of Stargate SG One before our friend Cheese invited me to play this game. Mm-hmm. Like straight up, I had seen one episode. I knew the barest of bare minimums about Stargate before I rolled up my character. And it's almost better that way, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and like it was cool because like after that one session, that first session, I went and I watched some of Stargate SG One, and now Stargate is one of my favorite series. <laughs> Very nice. I was like, oh, this one character from this uh session is actually a real person in the show. They didn't just make them up for this for that session. That's cool. But yeah. 
I knew absolutely nothing about Stargate. I knew the basics of the concept, and I went in, and it was great. I had a great time. Yeah, I mean, mechanics for a system can really do a lot. And the cool thing is that, like, as a GM, like, you don't ever have to abide by the setting exactly, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of that stuff can change. You know, like, I'm not really a fan of the Forgotten Realms. Like, just full stop, I find it kind of boring. Um, And, like, I know that... I have literally... Sorry. I have literally run one D&D campaign using any official Wizards of the Coast release setting. And it was a Ravenloft campaign. Which feels very your aesthetic. Oh, yeah, 100%. But yeah, I mean, like, Forgotten Realms, like, it has some cool stuff, but it feels very vanilla. Yeah. Which, like, by design, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So it's like, yeah, like, there's some stuff, there's, there's like, these guilds, I don't know, like, for some people, like, Dustin, I know, has consumed a bunch of that content. You know, bread and butter. And I know that it is easier sometimes to utilize IPs that you are very familiar with mm-hmm. uh, rather than brewing up your own stuff every time. And borrowing from those IPs can make, can help ease the creative burden when it comes to, to running, you know, games as a GM. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. Right. Um, but for me, at least it's always been, it's never really been all that appealing at least. Like I never, con- I didn't really consume very much of the media. Um, Dritzor Dordan Dordan Dordan? Is it Dritzordan? I wanna say it's Dordan. Dordan. That guy. Um Driz. Yeah. <clears throat> so like I know his I I know how to spell his name at least. Um <laughs> That's better than me. Not not how to pronounce it. And I think at one point I even owned a bunch of the books, I just never read them. And I was like, eh you know. I'll get to it, I guess, eventually. So, uh-huh. And then you never did? I never did, and then I ended up selling them online. Uh, I'm sorry, Ari Salvatore. I did my best. Uh, I think Ari Salvatore is, is going to be okay that you didn't actually read their book. I mean, I spent the money on it, so he got his. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess that's a lot of uh, ways to say, like, you know, look at the different systems, right? And even if you're not, like, super thrilled with the, like, the IP, you can still get some good work out of it, even if you don't like the, the setting. For sure. Um, I I generally take most TTRPG systems as the system, and whatever setting I want to run, if it fits there, I run it. Um, I'm a huge fan of making my own setting. Yeah, and, like, you know, even, like, you and I right now are in the process of, like, reading through and learning the, the Lancer system. And, oh, you know, like... If, if and when I run that, it is going to be a totally homebrew setting. I'm going to say when, because, like, this is going to happen. But <laughs> Yeah. Um, but the point stands, right, where it's, like, for that system, it's, like, yeah. Like, I mean, the setting that they have in there is cool and all, but mm-hmm. it doesn't resonate with me very much. And even if... Um, we end up playing, and you end up using like a heavily Gundam-inspired setting. Like, mm-hmm. that's fine. I've watched basically one total series of Gundam, so that's good enough for me. <laughs> you also won't need to know anything about Gundam, because it's gonna be brand new, baby. <laughs> yeah, or like when we ran our Pokemon, uh, Pokemon um, Tabletop Adventures, right? Like, we used a homebrew region, because like, that's just way more interesting than you know, having to roleplay Brock. 
and Misty. And- whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on. My campaign was set in Johto. Okay, I know yours was, but everybody else did it. A home region, custom region. Oh, uh, I had a great time with that too. Yeah. So. Oh goodness me. <laughs> but, um. But yeah, I mean, I, I hope that this has been helpful, though, for our audience. You know, when it comes to like thinking about like the planning process because i know that can be really stressful right Mm -hmm. because like as a gm like you're spending so much time planning on your own stuff that you know it can be difficult to kind of anticipate what the player's going to do and i know it can be really tempting as a gm to like hear the plans that the players are putting together at your table and want to like put in countermeasures to stop it from happening very tempting like I almost want to do it every time. <laughs> yeah, right? Because you're like, oh, no, uh, actually, because, you, you know, sometimes it's, you know, I want the players to do the solution the way that I thought of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just kind of leans into, like, good improv behavior where it's like, yeah, yes, I am, right? Like, yeah, go for it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't see why not. And even if it is something that you didn't intend or didn't want to happen, sometimes it just leads to a better situation. Oh, Yeah. Oh, 100%. I know I've talked about my last uh, Pathfinder game I ran more than once, and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this exact event at least one time. But it was a it was a time travel plot, and they were going back and forth in time um, into, like, parallel versions of the same world, and they they had no idea exactly how it was working. And they were in the future, and it was the end of the campaign. Alan had gone back in time so he could try to fix all the things that were broken, and that happened in the middle of the session. So there was still like an hour or two of gameplay that we were like planned for, and I didn't want to end the session early. Um, and I knew one thing that was going to happen, so I introduced it earlier than I intended. Mm. Where Alan was, they they went to um, try to collect Alan's bounty. Alan had a bounty on him and he was already in prison. Mm-hmm. And I said, Alan, you have no idea how you got here. You're totally bald. His character was not bald. Uh, you have a scar over your right eye and you are missing an arm. And he was like, what? <laughs> oh, what? I was like, you'll find out when we go back in time. <laughs> so I had a whole plan for how he- we were going to get to that point right right whole lot of stuff was going to happen he was you know quote unquote main charactering a demon invasion um and instead of all the things that i had originally planned the players got us there themselves <laughs> the other players new characters in the past were the ones who messed up alan instead of the demons doing it I was like, that's crazy that you guys took these exact actions. Because <laughs> it was, just works, you know? it was, I swing my sword, I swing my dagger, I throw a fireball at Alan because Alan made himself suspicious. And they, they saw him talking to what they perceived as a demon because they didn't know the whole backstory of the campaign because they were new characters. Yeah, makes total sense. Yeah. So they were like, fireball, sword, dagger cut off his arm 
cut his face, burned his hair off. And I was like, that's crazy that you guys did this. Alan, you disappeared. <laughs> and just like that. <laughs> I bet you're wondering how I got here. <laughs> I was like, you guys just made a way better plan than what I had. And we're just, that was great. Good job, guys. I mean, it's, it's just falls into place, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even our last session, right? We started our uh, our surprise round um, with a with an attack roll, right? Yep. And Alan just straight up like, "Can I just have it shoot me in the head?" I'm like, yeah, man. Because like honestly, I was gonna ha- I was gonna do it, but I didn't want to like I didn't want him to feel like <laughs> he's like, "Wait, I just go to zero. Um, <laughs> but then he's like, "No, I want to get shot in the head." I was like, "All right, man. Like we're 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 cutsceneing it then. <laughs> get your cool Wolverine moment." And it was a good moment. That was great. It was. It was. And I think it also, like, in this instance, too, right, this is where we're, like, bending game mechanics in order to, uh, in the service of the narrative. Like, mm-hmm. I think it does a lot to to demonstrate, again, like, the demonstrated danger of this character that we're about to fight. <laughs> and that, yeah. like, you know, the, the smallest shred of suspicion escalated into a full-on, like, nope, she's gonna murder people over very minimal, you know, concern. Like, mm-hmm. you know? And she was a problem. <laughs> Very much so. So let me ask you a question, right? Sure. If Alan had not gotten up after his beating and he just played dead, right? Right. Would her next thought have been to attack me and Julian? Probably. Okay. Um, and I say probably because you're the other unknowns that mm-hmm. are introduced into this situation, right? She knows she knows uh the bait character, uh, Jessica Franks, right? She knows um the noblewoman. She knows mm-hmm. Jeremy, her butler. Mm-hmm. You are the only other people in that situation that she does not know, and she knows that the three of you were walking together, like palling around. So better safe than sorry. Could you have lied your way out of it? Maybe. I'd say it's possible. Difficult, possible. Assuming that Atlan played dead. And then that would have been a very different situation, but also would have made subsequent assassination attempts significantly more difficult, as they tend to be. Oh, yeah. She would have been more on her guard than usual after that. Yeah, and she was already, like, somewhat suspicious. Mm hmm. So. Um, I, uh, I audibled to, uh, to including a couple of, uh, a couple of members of her crew. Um, in the fight, just because again, I, I when it comes to designing five E counter like boss encounters, like you really need to be mindful of action economy, and you know it's hard to ignore it. Mm-hmm. But man, I hate legendary action. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a it's a mechanic that I do like, but I think you need to do interesting things with it. Um, this was a situation where, like, I couldn't really think of, like, interesting, I want to say not interesting, but I couldn't really think of, like, better legendary actions that what I ended up going with, so I just kind of defaulted to some, to some mechanics that I was familiar with. Um, I, I think if I had a little bit more time to plan, like, that particular version of the encounter, I would have done it a little bit differently, but I think mm-hmm. that I was also in the situation where I wasn't sure how or where this encounter was going to take place, or if it was even going to be this week, so. Yeah, for sure. I was kind of brewing a little bit off the cuff. I had like a, a like a, an idea on like where I wanted these numbers and figures to be, 
And I think mm-hmm. the most important thing when it comes to like BSing your way through an important encounter like this is just being consistent with the numbers, right? So like for me, when I'm brewing and when I'm doing an encounter off, like, you know, literally just like off the top of my head, um, because I didn't have any of that stuff planned. I didn't have a stat block for any of these characters. I'm just running it, you know, off the top of my head. Um, when I decide on a number, I write the number down. We stick with the number. Yep. Right. Absolutely. So like here, it's like, you know, first hit, you know, what's the roll? 16. Miss. What's the next roll? 22. Okay, that's high enough to where I think that should hit. I know that your average, you know, attack bonus is like a 6 or something. And I know that, like, off the top of my head, that, you know, your attack should hit probably like half the time. Maybe a little bit less or a little bit more, right? For this specific encounter, a little bit less, I think, is ideal. Because she's supposed to be more of a challenge, so... A little bit less, I think, was a good call. Yeah, exactly. And I knew that she should hit on the majority of her strikes, because, again, she's she's a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, likewise, her having, you know, mage support was something that I decided last week, that uh, she was going to have a, a member of her crew that was uh, was a, a mage of some sort. Had decided mm-hmm. on the specifics, but I figured, hey, throwing up a haste spell is the first action in combat. Seems like a good plan. <laughs> I hated that. That was that was uh, one of those like, hey, that's our move. <laughs> um, you know, so it's it's one of those things where it's like, ultimately, it's just like being consistent, right? Mm-hmm. And being aware of it. Now, as far as like HP totals are concerned, those are typically pretty flexible, in my opinion. I try and set it such that I like maximize tension. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like character goes down when it feels appropriate to go down, sort of deal. Yep. Um, a lot of times i won't even pick a number for hp i'll kind of just when i'm bsing an encounter like that i'll just go until the player's energy starts going down and that's when i start ending up ending the fight yeah so um like what i'll do usually is like if i'm planning it like properly planning it i'll usually Mm -hmm. pick a number but that number can fluctuate a fair bit in the game depending on how well or badly things are going um Mm -hmm. now granted like that doesn't mean I want every fight to be a slog. Um, I think that that's like, I should be really clear. I'm not adjusting these numbers up so I can make every fight a struggle. because I've Usually played... we're adjusting down. <laughs> yeah, typically we're adjusting down. Um, because like I've played in, in campaigns where every fight is a struggle, and that's no fun. I like combat, and that's no fun. Mm-hmm. So I'm very cognizant to like allow the players to feel powerful in some instances. And so in this case, like, there was a, you know, like, the second, the, the first mate was pretty good, and then there was another member of the crew who was, I think, very clearly, like, a tier three character, right, as far as the uh, the power rankings are concerned. But, yeah. like, they were doing damage, right? They were they were contributing to the fight and ultimately needed to be taken out, prioritized even, um, yep. given yep. the way that the fight was going. So. At the very least, he was the damage sponge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's ultimately, like, why things played out somewhat the way that they did, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. again, when you're when you're kind of off-the-cuffing an encounter like that, where you don't have the opportunity to plan it, but you have the time and, and desire to run it anyways, um, mm-hmm. you can get through a fair bit by just trying to play the characters the way that you expect them to play. And so mm-hmm. it makes sense that if the fight is going, like, not as well as they as these characters would have expected immediately. Yeah, send someone for reinforcements. 
Like, that is a logical thing to do, right? Um, and it also makes sense that that character would not make that decision on their own, given the, like, power dynamics. Like, even though they were, like, pretty injured at that point, and by all rights, you know, most you know living things would have fled for their lives, his loyalty to his captain is such that, you know, he would have laid down his line, his life, uh, were it requested. Um, so it made sense. It also speaks to um, Bonnie's, like, actual earning of of her crew's respect, that she sent him to go get help. Um, even when the fight didn't look perfectly in her favor, but still in her favor. Mm. Because she was like, I don't want any of these people on my side to die, really. Is how I understood it. Because, like, she wasn't losing the fight at that point. She was still... She was still ahead. Mm. She was like, you go get help. We're not going to take any losses on this fight. Yeah. And and I think that that's a, a really interesting way to read into it. Maybe not 100% mm-hmm. intended, but I think that it does match the character, right? Mm-hmm. Again, someone who has displayed themselves to be very prudent, right? Yeah. Um, very shrewd. So, again, it makes sense, I think. And, and uh-huh. ultimately, I, I think that you can really do a lot. Because the thing is, like, combat encounters are fun, right? To, to a mm-hmm. certain extent. But not inherently. Combat encounters in, in uh, your TTRPGs, I think, are most fun when you're using them to tell it a to tell story, right? To, right. like, either tell more about the characters involved, to progress the, the plot. And not just in the, like, very bare bones, oh character a needs to be slain so that plot can progress it's like no i'm using this as an opportunity to show you more of who this person is and even though they're going to end up you know dead that person's impact can still be will hopefully still be felt later down the line either Mm -hmm. when you find yourselves in leadership situations and you know you can model yourselves off of that off of that interaction or when you're interacting with her peers in the future you know the caliber of person that you're dealing with and especially if one of us has to take her position as the the sovereign, I think um, I think the other pirates are definitely going to judge us with her as the stand. Yeah, I think that's a really reasonable take, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, as far as like advice is concerned, right? If you're a GM, right? Number one, don't be afraid to like run stuff off the cuff. But I will concede that that is something that I think you and I can get away with doing. In part because we're so familiar and, uh, and somewhat experienced when it comes to GMing in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's like a level one like plan, right? I don't think like no. level one GM can should be doing that necessarily. Can attempt it, right? But reasonable expectations may not go well the first you know dozen times to try it. Um, but if you keep pressing it, you can get a, a feel for it. Ultimately, again, it's about consistency. If you told the player that a seventeen hit. The 17 has to hit next time. You can't have it changing yep. without explanation. And they don't necessarily have to know the explanation for the change, but there has to be one. 100%. Likewise, damage needs to be consistent too, right? Um, you know, it can vary, but like, if you do your first hit and you roll a d8 and, you know, and then add, you know, 5 to the number or something, the next hit shouldn't be a d8 plus 2 d6s and then adding 3. Unless you have a reason. Exactly, exactly. Um, 
if you're familiar with different character mechanics, you can also kind of shorthand some stuff or come up with some different ideas in advance. Mm. So in this instance, um, I'm familiar with a few different options as far as like character building is concerned. Now, I don't mm -hmm. typically build characters in like when it comes to NPCs, right? Like you don't need to build them like you do PCs. So nope. characters, they, they, the NPC should not have a bunch of class features, generally speaking, but they can be really helpful shorthand for um, different archetypes. And so like during our fight uh, just last night, when you're fighting the first mate, who's a caster, it's like, oh, Burn's a key point to do patient defense, right? That's a monk ability. That mm -hmm. informs somewhat of what this character is capable of doing. So, oh, even if they run out of spell slots, they probably can fight bare knuckle if needed. Mm -hmm. So, um, so again, like being mindful of that. You know, sometimes the characters can do a bunch of different things, and that's okay. And like that doesn't necessarily mean that this character is a monk, right? Maybe they just have that ability because they're a very patient person. Yeah. The abilities don't necessarily, for NPCs, the abilities don't have to be tied to the classes. Um, it's just, they have this ability because you wanted them to. Yeah. Um, and it's about balancing it out at the end of the day, right? Like, Yeah, don't add 12 different abilities to these NPCs, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and being aware, too, of like how to play into your party's strengths and weaknesses. Like, one of the things mm -hmm. that I wanted... Um, this uh this pirate captain to be able to do is to instill fear into people mm -hmm. now i did this knowing that that is like an inconvenience and so i decided to give her uh kind of like the next tier up of like being able to paralyze people with fear um one because mm -hmm. it's very thematic um and two it's an ability that i brewed previously for other encounters that i've run um mm -hmm. in the past i know that it is an effective ability when it comes to both crowd control and also like it's just generally scary <laughs> um, yeah you know, when, when character is like, it's like, oh no, you're paralyzed now. Like, what do you mean? It's like, I mean, you're not moving. The scariest part is that the captain is the only one who got paralyzed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but again, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not, I'm not running the character with her assuming like perfect knowledge here. Like, mm -hmm. she doesn't know that, you know, one of you guys are immune to fear entirely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, that's the scariest thing. The captain is the only one who was afraid, and we watched our captains stop dead. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, probably going to have a conversation about that later. Because like, that's a story beat. That's a story beat mm -hmm. now. Yep. So, like, we went down, but we didn't stop fighting. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, important to check in, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's also some beats there, too, where it's like, oh, hey... She said that she knew you, or seemed to know you. Like, did you not tell us everything? <laughs> Is there something we need to know about that? You know, like, again, like, sometimes just little interactions like that can go a long way. And it's like, mm -hmm. full disclosure, I didn't know what that, what I meant by that when I said it, but it seemed like yeah. something kind of interesting, and now I have a thread I can pick up later on. More importantly, you have a thread that we're gonna pick at. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't have to bring that up, because we will. Absolutely. And I may or may not have thought of an explanation in the week, you know, three weeks between our next game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and if I do, that'll be great. But if I don't, that's totally fine, too, because sometimes you come up with better stuff in the moment. Oh, yeah. But ultimately, that comes down to the person. So. And thankfully, that person is you and not me. <laughs> 
we'll see for next time though. Um, but I think that we'll uh, go ahead and call it a show there. Right. Yeah, sounds good. All right, man. Well, uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Um, as always, you can catch our new episodes every other week. Uh, we're posting them uh, on Sunday. Um, we will eventually get them back to YouTube um, sooner or later. Uh, we're still working out some of the kinks on, on scheduling for that, but we will get those up at some point. Um, mm-hmm. In the meantime, you can catch us uh, for now on Twitter at TIAFA Podcast. You can catch me at Vlad Beaver and Marvin at Taiyugetsu. Um, we are on Twitter for now. Uh, if we are able to get to um, other socials, we will uh, we will do that. Um, I know we're still on Instagram, so even if Twitter does go down like a uh, like the Titanic, we will uh, we will still be active on that platform, if nothing else. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So you know, definitely you know find us there. And as we create more social uh, so- social network pages, we'll we'll keep you all posted. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, things have been good. Uh, enjoy your game. Let your players plan. Let things work. Let things don't. And have a good one, everybody. <laughs>